Now, um, I just want to have a word of prayer before we begin. And so if you could join me uh, in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to pray that, um, first of all, thank you that after, I think, something like 250-some days um, in lockdown, that Melbourne uh, is finally out of lockdown, that we're able to see each other again, that we're able to um, do things that we used to enjoy doing. But the Father, we also want to plead for, for um, intervention and mercy as there are still many cases of people who are sick, um, including some of our loved ones. Um, and so, Father, we want to pray for those who are sick with COVID today um, and for loved ones um, and members of our community who might be sick um, and suffering from other physical ailments. Um, Father, we want to pray for your hand of healing on them all, that you would uh, draw very near and comfort each and every one um, and provide the miracle that we need um, to to keep going. And we want to thank you for the fact that even though um, there is a lot of suffering and so much loss, um, we want to thank you that you have a plan for restoration and healing, um, that one day, Father God, you will make all things new and that you will bring about a great reunion. And we're so grateful for that hope. Father, today as I as I share this message, um, it's a difficult message, Lord. Um, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me, be with everyone who's, who's watching and listening. And we also want to pray, Lord, for the tithes and offerings that have been returned online, um, that the faithfulness of everyone and, and the generosity of everyone um, will be blessed um, and multiplied by you, um, and that as a result, your work can go forward. And so we want to thank you for the blessings that we sometimes take for granted. Um, help us, Father God, to be able to truly live in gratitude, um, to live in humility. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Is Christianity good? Is Christianity good for humanity, for society, for you? I want to warn you that what I'm going to share today may be upsetting for some of you who have been hurt by the Christian church or by Christian individuals. I personally want to say as a Christian and as a Christian pastor that I'm very sorry for the trauma and the pain that you have experienced and may still be experiencing. And if you would rather not listen to this message right now, that's okay. Or if you want to fast forward past the triggers, come back in about 10 minutes and I'll be talking about some of the good in Christianity. But I want to start with the bad and the ugly. Because the Christian church and Christian individuals in history have done some terrible things. Yesterday, for example, a former teacher at a Christian school in Melbourne's East, who used to be a pastor for the Salvation Army, has pleaded guilty to multiple counts of child sex offenses. And sadly, this isn't the first time the media has reported sexual misconduct by Christian leaders. From 2013 to 2017, the Royal Commission into Institutional Response to Child Sexual Abuse uh, here in Australia has investigated the history of abuse in educational institutions, religious groups, sporting organizations, state institutions, and youth organizations. And it has led to revelations of so many child sexual abuse that have been covered up or dismissed or neglected. 
Earlier this year, a four-month investigation confirmed in America that the late Christian evangelist Ravi Zacharias had sexually abused and manipulated multiple women in multiple countries for over a decade. In May, a former Hillsong pastor, Carl Lentz, who was a pastor to celebrities like Justin Bieber, was accused of sexual assault. He had already been fired for his extramarital affairs. And currently, as you know, um, happening right now, the founder of the Hillsong Church, Pastor Brian Houston, is actually awaiting trial. Uh, his trial in November for charges of concealing his pastor father's child sexual abuse in the past. So this is not news to us. Sexual misconduct by clergy and other Christian leaders has been something that has turned many people away from Christianity. Then there are the Christians advancing political agendas under the banner of religion. In January of this year, we saw with horror that when a mob stormed the U.S. Capitol, some carried a big yellow banner that said, Jesus saves. Another erected a wooden cross, and as they broke windows and destroyed property, some shouted, here we are in the name of Jesus. After occupying the Senate chamber, a QAnon mascot led the group in prayer. And while many of these individuals weren't affiliated with any major religious denominations, various church, Christian churches and institutions in history have been responsible for major military or political attacks under the banner of Christianity. Of course, the Crusades of the Middle Ages, the, the, the ones that uh, were best known are between 1095 and 1291 AD, when the Roman Catholic Church tried to recover the city of Jerusalem um, and the surrounding la lands from both the Byzantine Empire, ruled by the Eastern Orthodox Church, as well as the Ottoman Empire, ruled by the Islamic Caliphates. And so these three powers battled each other, and that region, the Middle East, was left really vulnerable uh, to multiple invasions. Fast forward, and when the past Protestant Reformation began in Western Europe in the 16th century, and new denominations formed as a result of individuals like Martin Luther and John Calvin, etc., and, and you had... Um, New movements uh, forming that began that together were collectively called the Protestant Reformation, resulting in uh, denominations like the Anglican Church um, and the Presbyterian Church, etc. Down the road, many of the secular leaders took advantage of what was happening in these religious revivals um, and reformations to to gain political independence and alliance from, at the time, the. Pope, as well as the religious, the Holy Roman Emperor, who um, had his hand in all the political happenings in Europe. From the 16th to the 18th century, there were constant conflicts between both the secular and religious leaders in Europe, and every religious group, no matter who it was, was persecuted at some point by another group, not always for their beliefs, but because of the threat to the balance of power. And there's also the sin of omission. In 1933, in Germany, there were 40 million Protestants and 20 million Catholics. That's 60 million Christians. But only a small handful of these Christians protested the Nazi persecution and annihilation of 
Jews. Some Christian individuals, networks, and institutions did aid and rescue the Jews, but the majority of the Christian church in Germany did not. In North and South America, politicians have quoted scripture and held up Bibles and photo ops to win votes, to win support, all while lying, manipulating, and maligning others. For example, the 50th president of Guatemala, Jimmy Morales, his campaign slogan was, neither corrupt nor a thief. But his presidency was riddled with corruption. His older brother and his son were arrested in 2017 for money laundering. And it was revealed that President Morales was receiving bonus payments from the Ministry of Defense. Sex, money, politics. Then there's also the history of colonization. As Europe uh, commenced its renaissance in the 1400s, new developments in navigation, science, economics, and religion created a rival between the European nations to discover and claim new resources. Plus, the Eastern Europe was being attacked by the Ottoman Empire. And so the Pope issued a series of rulings between the 1450s and 1490s that authorized Spain and Portugal. He kind of just divided the map in half and said, anything on this side, you can claim Portugal. Anything on this side, Spain, is yours. He said, he, he said you can conquer any non-Christian land and enslave its inhabitants. And so Christopher Columbus discovered America in 1492. In in 1578, Queen Elizabeth granted Sir Humphrey Gilbert all the land he might discover that had not already been claimed by a Christian prince. In other words, the thought at that time by the the rulers, uh, by the authorities who sent off these explorers was that they have a divine right to dispossess the First Nations people of their land, freedom, and even their lives because they weren't Christian. And after the first wave of explorers went and decimated many populations and did horrible things um, in the name of Christ to the indigenous populations and communities, a second wave of missionaries then went who might have had good intentions but often did much harm to those communities. The Aboriginal communities their their cultures, their language, their beliefs were considered inferior or wrong, while the missionaries were blind to their own inability to conceptualize Christianity without the European context and without the lenses that they didn't even realize that they viewed Christianity through. For example, here in Australia, from the mid-1800s until the mid-1960s, you have the Stolen Generation where thousands of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children were forcibly separated from their families, oftentimes just kidnapped and taken without even a, a word of explanation and taken to be assimilated in families or institutions by an Australian policy that aimed at breaking their diverse spiritual and cultural identities. I'm currently reading this book called Remembering Mona Mona. From 1913 to 1962, Mona Mona Mission was a 7th Avenue institution for Indigenous Australians in Northern Queensland. And the book presents the positive and negative impact that the mission um, had on the lives 
of the individuals, the residents who came through this mission. This book is based on the interviews with past residents and staff, along with historical records and research, and it leaves you with that sense of pain as well as joy. There were some who are blessed and there are many who are not. And this book and, 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 and the many efforts of, uh, you know, Christians today are, are the, some of the steps that the Christian church is taking to better understand the full consequences of our actions, to, to, to fully acknowledge the Christian church's um, positions and actions in the past, to apologize and to rectify and to change how we do things in the future. I want to show you another book. Um, I'm not finished with this one. Um, last week, Galen gave me this book to read, God is Good for You. Um, I'm, I'm not finished with it yet. I have to confess, I don't love it. <laughs> but it, it, it did inspire and spark uh, the series I'm doing, God is, is Christianity Good, which is today. And next week is Christianity Good for You. Um, it's part two next week. So, so I return to the question, is Christianity good? And I, there's so much more I could say about the bad and the ugly um, that Christianity has done and continues to do. So is Christianity good? And the answer so far seems to be no. And many people, as I said, have left church because the church has hurt them too much. And many people... Ha- who have never been part of the church, definitely don't want any part of it because of what they see, because of what they've heard. Non-Christians have criticized and rejected the church not without foundation, not without some good cause. But I also want to share today that despite all this, many people still choose to embrace the church and many non-Christians still choose to become Christians. And even non-Christians who may not convert to Christianity still acknowledge that Christianity has done much good as well. For example, Christianity has inspired significant health and social services throughout the world. Because Jesus taught that everyone is a child of God, regardless of their circumstances and backgrounds, and, and, and made that mandate to care for the least of these, Inspired by Jesus' ministry um, and teachings, many Christians um, from the very first century onwards have fed the poor, empowered slaves, affirmed women as partners, in, and, and care for the needs of the elderly, the imprisoned, and the outcast. In many cultures, including the Greek and Roman world, um, in the first century, the weak and the sick were often abandoned. Babies were left to die, widows were neglected, and the poor and disabled left to fend for themselves. The early Christians, who were just a small, small group at that time, shared their resources to care for the needs of these outcasts and these abandoned uh, ones on the fringes. When the plague hit the city of Carthage in the 2nd century, pagan households threw sufferers onto the streets, and Greco-Roman doctors uh, like Galen, uh, who was a very famous Roman doctor at the time, fled in fear for their own lives. But during this time, there are records that show that Christian communities brought these abandoned sick individuals into their own homes and cared for them. 
In AD 369, St. Basil of Caesarea founded a 300-bed hospital. This was the first large-scale hospital for the ill and disabled, and it cared for victims of the plague and was the very first of many hospitals built by the Christian church. So you can trace back a lot of the roots of this idea of the hospital um, to the Christian ideology. And Christian individuals throughout the centuries have, have continued to serve in health services because of their love for God and because of their care for others. For example, Florence Nightingale, um, who many of us know as, as the one who revolutionized the field of nursing, she experienced the call of God to a life of service at the age of 17. At her time, hospitals were filthy places and nursing was not a respectable profession, especially for a lady born into a gentle family. But Florence defied society and her fa own family's objections to study and train as a nurse. And during the Crimean War, she served in the very first field hospital ever run and tended to by women. She established schools for training nurses, and she introduced procedures of cleanliness um, and disinfection that have been benefiting people ever since. Dr. Ida Scudder was a third-generation medical missionary in India. She saw women dying um, because they couldn't be treated by men under their, their customs. And so they were just dying without, even though there were, you know, doctors presence, uh, present, they weren't able to go into the rooms where the women were to treat them. And Ida, as a young girl, because her father was a doctor, witnessed one day three women who were in childbirth that all died in the same night because none of them um, allowed a man, a male doctor to, to treat them. And so spurred by this tragedy, she decided to be a doctor herself and um, went back to the U.S. And she studied um, to be a doctor. In fact, she was one of the first women to graduate from Cornell Medical College in 1899 um, as a doctor. And then she went to India and she opened a hospital for women. And she opened um, the first one of its kind. And she also opened a medical school for women and served her whole life in India. She never went back. She died at the age of 89 um, in India in 1960. Christian missionaries and institutions continue to provide health care in places where it's not affordable or available to all. In his book, Health for All, the Journey of Universal Health Coverage, Dr. Shane Doyle examines how missionary medicine was instrumental in providing universal health care in many places around the world, and he um, specifically cited Uganda, where churches still provide 30% of all health care provision. My own sister, you know, became a pediatrician uh, when she because at the age of 12, she read about a medical missionary to Mongolia, and my sister said, what a great way to help people. And so um, from the age of 12, she prayed, God, I want to be a medical missionary. And she stayed on that path. And she became a pediatrician. Um, and since the age of 16, my sister has been traveling, you know, every every holiday or break that she, she um, was able to go. Um, she travels to vulnerable communities in the U.S. and around the world, seeing hundreds of patients a day crying at the end of the day when she can't do more and um you know 
her whole life is dedicated to serving others. Um, she's currently the director for the Loma Linda University, um, which is a Seventh-day Adventist medical school, their health institute for health policy and leadership. And their mission is to provide education, leadership, and research regarding policies um, at preventing diseases, promoting wellness, and restoring human wholeness. She's also an assistant uh, professor teaching in the pediatric and preventative um, disease department. I think about my friend from Princeton, my friend Dave, who um, is a doctor. And during the pandemic, when the pandemic hit, I should say, volunteered to be in the COVID ward and to care for those patients, even though he knew that there was a risk uh, to his own life and to his family's life. And in fact, he did get COVID um, on the day when he was supposed to get his first job. Sadly, his family got COVID um, and they've been dealing with repercussions of that to this day. But he still serves and volunteers in the COVID ward um, after months of, of, you know, being... Uh, having all the exhaustion from the recovery himself. He does it, he tells me, because of his love for God and others and the example of Jesus to lay down your life for the good of others. In an anonymous survey conducted in 2014 in the U.S., out of nearly um, 2,100 respondents, 65% of doctors reported that they believed in God. 29% reported that their beliefs influenced their decision to become a physician. 44.7% said that they prayed for their patients, whether the patients knew it or not, that that they prayed for them. Christianity has also contributed to the establishment of social welfare, not just the healthcare system. Um, The history is complicated, and the organizations didn't always treat people well. I want to acknowledge that. And I don't have time today to get into all the the good and bad and and the intricacies of the various missions for the homeless, the vulnerable women, refugees, orphans, migrants, etc. And so, and 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 there were lots of things that they got wrong, but also there were lots of things they did right. And Christian individuals have often been the champions, pioneering in in in, in voicing support and aid for these vulnerable people groups. Lord Shaftesbury, for example, was elected to the House of Commons at the age of 25, and he began implementing changes to the mental health hospitals. Previously, these individuals were treated like, like you know, um, horribly, being caged and abused. But Lord Shaftesbury's very first speech in the House of Commons was devoted to establishing more humane conditions. He also championed the regulation of child labor laws and helped introduce national compulsory education for children. Elizabeth Fry was born to a wealthy banking family and could have lived a comfortable life, but she spent her whole life promoting uh, prison reform, especially for women. She organized education for them and changed the tenet of the prison system from one of punishment to one of rehabilitation and reintegration. William Wilberforce, thanks to mentors like John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, persevered for 30 years to make slavery illegal in England. And as a result, other countries uh, were, were able to follow. Today, many nonprofits were, are founded by Christians and continue to be in, operated by Christian churches. 
The Seventh-day Adventist Church operates ADRA, the Adventist Development and Relief Agency, a humanitarian agency that um, whose purpose is to provide individual and community development and disaster relief. When the bushfires, you know, hit the hit Australia um, at the beginning of last year, ADRA was there on the front lines providing food and, and, and supplies um, and furniture to all those families in need. The director for ADRA, Victoria, Beck, Rebecca Orient, I don't think she ever sleeps or eats because she was there for days and weeks helping individuals, um, not even, I don't think she even saw her own family during that time, going from place to place, you know, organizing all the volunteers who, who, who drove out there and helped and then, of course, she didn't get a break because then the pandemic hit. And then she organized all the various food pantry groups um, and community groups throughout Victoria who are who were able during the pandemic to, to continue to provide food and, and help to families in need. I could talk about the Christian origins of universities, the co- contribution of Christians to science, arts, economics, the Constitution, democracy, civil rights movement, etc., but we would be here all day. I want to return to the question instead, is Christianity good? Is Christianity good? And at the end of the day, it's not about good or bad. We could never balance the ledger because how can you measure the impact of pain or joy on someone's life. These are not quantifiable measures. And so we cannot say, well, here's all the bad, here's all the good. Mm, Does it balance out? We can't do that. At the end of the day, Christianity is both good and bad. Just like every human being is both good and bad. We have good in us because we are created in the image of God. But we also have bad in us because of our fallen sinful nature. And when we accept the dichotomy, di- sorry, dichotomy of that fact for ourselves and for others that we and, and they and us, we are good and we are bad, that that's when we can ask the next important question, which is, is Christianity good enough? Jesus himself questioned the religious beliefs and practices of his own day, and he found them wanting. What would he say about Christianity through the ages? What would he say about Christianity today? Is Christianity good enough? And I'm afraid the answer is no. It's not good enough. It falls short. We fall short. We continue to be hypocrites. We continue to judge others when Jesus said not to judge. We continue to focus on the wrong issues. We continue to fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. We continue to love sex, money, and power more than God. So then what? Should we just give up on Christianity? Give up on the Christian church? Give up on any hope of change? No, because Jesus didn't give up. He believed in the church. He empowered it and breathed into it and commissioned it to go out into all the nations. But he wants us to be honest with ourselves and others and with him. To to recognize the bad that we have done. To understand the full impact and consequences of our choices. 
and he challenges us to do better, to be better by learning from our past, by being transparent in our present and by focusing on him. Because at the end of the day, only Jesus is good enough. He is good enough for all our failures. He is good enough for our redemption. He is good enough to provide what we need so we can trust in him as we work together as a church to share his love and character and and, and share his plan to restore humanity to wholeness. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, that's when the wheels come off. When self becomes a focus or when others become the standard, then our Christianity isn't good for anyone, including ourselves. Hence the long list of Christians who have done more harm than good. Christianity cannot change hearts. The ideology cannot change character. So you can have someone convert to Christianity, but still be as selfish or greedy or violent or superstitious as before. Until and unless we surrender fully to Christ. Because it's not Christianity that changes us. It's Jesus who changes us. Whenever individuals and communities have surrendered their wills to Jesus, keeping their eyes on His goodness and obeying His promptings, that's when good things happened. At its core, Christianity is not a religion or a worldview. At, a, at its core, Christianity is a relationship with a God who doesn't say, follow these rules or follow these people or follow these traditions. Over and over again, instead, God says, follow me. Right? Jesus, throughout the gospel book, said to individual after individual, 22 times you will find from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus saying, follow me. Do what I do. Go where I go. Hear what I say. Love whom I love. Follow Jesus. Is Christianity good? We could blame past generations for the defamation of Christian name. We could blame other Christians for the distrust of the masses in the church. But as Paul Johansson, an Adventist GP providing medical care to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community in Queensland, has asked, Criticizing past generation is easy, but begs the questions, How will we be judged? To what degree is our desire to do good negated by self-interest? You see, we have the opportunity in this generation to determine anew the answer to the question, is Christianity good? People around us will answer that question by looking at us and our actions and our behavior and our attitudes. People in Melbourne are looking at us to answer that question, is Christianity good? And we have a hand in shaping how that answer forms. John Dixon, a Sydney-based historian and pastor, said in, that in modern Australia, where there is this deep mistrust of organized religion, and Christianity is viewed with skepticism and even hostility, he says Christians need to recover what, their first, what the first Christians faced. The first Christians didn't have power or legislative clout. They just got on with serving, persuading, and praying. 
they just helped people. They just told stories of Jesus. They loved others. They shared what they had. They came together as a community and they prayed together and they served God even if it meant imprisonment, persecution, and death. So I want to leave you with that question. Is Christianity good? And that's a question that each of us in our own hearts can answer as we wrestle with, are we willing? Are we willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing to shape how that answer is formed in our communities? I want to leave you with a prayer that Paul, a first century missionary um, in that part of the world um, where, where Christianity began, and, and he was actually instrumental in the spread of Christianity, what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, a small church that was growing in that time that he had established. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work with us, within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I pray that for those of you who have been hurt by the church um, and by Christians, I pray that in Christ you would be able to find and discover the strength to be able to forgive and to be able to connect with the Christ who offers so much more. And I pray that all of us, as we search our hearts and as we focus our eyes on Christ, would be able to be a blessing to the community around us. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father God, help us to realize the part that we have played in, the, in harming the in name of Christ and in making Christianity harmful or weak or impotent in our communities. Father, I just want to pray that for all those who have been hurt by the, by the church, by Christians, that you would draw very near, that you would provide the strength and the comfort and the courage to be able to see you in the midst of the pain. And I pray, Father God, that you would help us to do better, to make Christianity better by following, choosing to follow you. 
by acknowledging our mistakes and our failures and by really entrusting that you who has begun a good work in us can complete it. Help us to surrender, Father God, the parts of our hearts and lives that we're still clinging on to to really allow you to transform us from the inside out so that we can truly be a blessing to those around us so that we can truly lift up your name and that you would receive all the glory. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.